Welcome back to the Goal Post. Coming back at you after another great week of sports here in the summer. It's been a pretty surprising summer sports season. I know we said that last week, but I think the past week just followed that up again. And we had a little bit of everything over the weekend. Little golf, little football. What did you think of the sports this past weekend, Patrick? It was. Uh, it's good for the early risers, uh, especially on Sunday. There was a lot of European sports going on. Uh, Hungary Grand Prix. Uh, the British Open. There's a little bit of NASCAR if you're uh, if you're a gearhead as well. But of course, the CFL from Thursday to Sunday, just about every weekend this summer, seems to be quite clutch, especially on those Friday, Saturday nights, even Sundays when there's really nothing on at night. It seems like the CFL kind of takes priority on the on your television screen, which is beautiful. And I mean, it wasn't the most exciting week we've had, especially from past weeks, but it finished off in quite a quite a grand way. Yeah, it finished off pretty crazy, just like last week. It did pretty well in the ratings. It averaged five hundred thousand and thir- or sorry, five hundred thirty-eight thousand viewers for week seven. That was the average, uh, with it peaking uh, with Saskatchewan at BC. Shows those weekend games really bring in a lot of viewers, especially Friday night, Toronto at Hamilton. That brought in a lot of viewers, uh, and it started off in a bit more of a tame way with Edmonton at Winnipeg uh, with unfortunately all too familiar of a story with Edmonton again failing to get a win. They dropped to 0 and 7 on the season, losing 28 to 14 against Winnipeg. This was kind of the tune-up game we were waiting for for Winnipeg. They didn't cover the insane 15 and a half point spread, uh, but they did kind of right a lot of wrongs that were going in their game and that started mostly with Brady Oliveira. He finished with 110 yards uh, with 17 carries. He was kind of being the dull point. He's only averaged six and a half yards this season now after that game. Uh, But getting him going was huge, and it it more looked like their offense was finally kind of in sync. It it took a while, though. It it wasn't until until the second half when Brady Oliveira really got going, which was beautiful because I had his over on on rushing yards that night, and I think he only had 30 30 and change at half, and then he just kind of took off in the second half, like you said, for 110. But all like Winnipeg only had six points at half. It was a slow first half, and it just kind of all clicked. And then that second half, you it was the Winnipeg of old, the Winnipeg you know of the past three, four seasons, the Zach Caleros led offense. And I mean, it was a it was a get right game, fifteen and a half point spread. So I think we all kind of knew that the writing was on the wall here for Winnipeg; they were gonna win. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And like they ended up kind of carrying off where people thought they were gonna pick back up. Again, it's the Elks, but when you get like guys like Dembski going, he had like a 70-yard return uh, on a huge pass from Kalaros. He finished with 115 yards and a touchdown. They just kind of needed to kind of grease the wheels a bit. I think people have fallen into a bit of doubt about Winnipeg, especially with how BC has been surging. But they're kind of still here to remind people that they're going to be one of the best teams in the West for pretty much the whole season, and I don't think that's going anywhere. Yeah, they're still the second odds-on favorite to win the Grey Cup. I mean, Kenny Lawler has been stellar in his two weeks since coming back. And, I mean, Winnipeg, you know they're going to be there in the end. It's good. They're going to be in the West Final. Wouldn't be surprised if they ended up being the West one seed by the end of the season. And, I mean, just, just don't forget about them because their offense is crazy now. Obviously, mentioned Kenny Lawler, Dalton Schoen. He looked good. Lawler looked good. He, he doesn't look like he missed a step. He's, I think he's the best receiver in the league still. 
it, it is ridiculous when you have an athlete like that, how quickly they can just pick back up and fall back into rhythm. Like, he's making those crazy extended catches, like, every time. It's usually it's just the quickness, right? Getting your feet back onto you of the game speed, but it seemed like he's adjusted instantly since he's returned, and he was up for quite some time as well. Yeah, it's it's honestly awesome to see. I think he's gone through the ringer of a mistake that he made in the past, and hopefully he can you know leave that behind him and finish with a strong season with Winnipeg. Again, it makes their receiving core honestly terrifying. They have a lot of weapons, and if Claro stays healthy. He's been relying more on pocket passing this year. I've noticed Winnipeg fans saying, like, you know, is his ankle still somewhat bugging him? He doesn't roll out like he used to. I think that's this is kind of just Zach Claros kind of shifting his game a bit. He had that serious ankle injury going into the Grey Cup and played on it. So this is somebody who's kind of just taking a look, I think, at their body and their career and making sure that he can kind of adjust his game to more of a pocket passing game. Yeah, and I think that's also why it's so important to get Brady Oliveira going. Again, because yeah. he has had a slow start to the season, but we know he's one of the best running backs in the league. Definitely. He showed it this this weekend, and if he can just keep getting these 70 to 80-plus rushing yard games, They'll be fine. with yeah. the receiving core, like, Caleros isn't going to have to roll out a bunch. He can just make those nice, easy throws. Winnipeg is going to be a dangerous team, and they look dangerous this week. Yeah, so we'll keep it quick. We'll move on to Toronto at Hamilton. This was the Friday night football matchup. We had the undefeated Argos going into Hamilton, who has had a bit of a weird season so far. They haven't looked very great. They sort of got back on their feet, and then their quarterback got injured. So Taylor Powell was in this one, not Matthew Schultz. He actually played all right. He went 27 for 41 uh, with 282, but no touchdowns and an interception. This was really kind of Hamilton's game the whole night. I think the Argos played down to Hamilton for most of the night. Uh, They looked great on the first drive of the game and really in the first half. And then in the second half, it looked like they kind of forgot how to play football and they really played down to Hamilton, and that's where they kind of got their leverage back. Those rivalry games kind of kind of always happens like that, yeah. right? Because I'm sure they, they kind of want to stick it to them, and they were definitely involved in trash talk as well, which kind of got them off their game, I'm sure. But, I mean, they took care of business. They continued their streak of scoring 30 or more points in every single game this season. That is, I would say, the best offense in the league. Chad Kelly, once again, 20 of 27, 306 yards, two touchdowns. Just not much Hamilton could have done against that. H.A. Ouellette. A stud once again, 84 yards. Yeah. He, and it's just... It, he's it, something else. It's the same story every week, it seems like, I know. with the Argos. Just great on offense, and the defense takes care of business as well. It's hard to poke any holes in this offense. Right now, they're ranking first in points per game, first in net yards, first in yards per play, first in touchdowns, pass efficiency. Right now, they just look like a completely well-oiled machine. And you said it last week that you know, this is clearly a better team than the one that won the Grey Cup last year. So the sky is the absolute limit for the Argos. They can take this season really wherever they want to. I think it's going to be about keeping the guys safe and not injured, especially in games that they shouldn't be getting a ton of touches in. We'll talk about that in our game preview up later. But I think that that's really going to be the key is like managing this talent now. Like that's what happens when you're a really, really good team. And it'll be an interesting balance because right? I would say Chad Kelly's probably leading the MLP conversation right now in Definitely. the league. So obviously, if the Argos keep winning games and he keeps performing at a high level, it's going to be a fine balance between garbage time and leaving him in in some games. I'm sure, especially when you're playing the 
the Elks of the league. Definitely. Um, if you're missing a starting quarterback. So, and, you know, Chad's a competitor. I'm sure he's not going to want to come out. But the we've seen the injuries to the quarterbacks so far in the season. And I think that is the Argos prize possession right now. Yeah, you got to take care of Chad Kelly. That's really going to be the biggest focus moving forward. And, yeah, not much else to say about this game. I think that, you know, it's not really one that Toronto – played to their absolute best, but that really just shows how good of a team they are because they still come away winning this one by 16 points. Moving on to Saturday, we had Saskatchewan going to BC to take on the Lions, and it was a bit of a weird one for Saskatchewan. They're coming off losing Trevor Harris. We got Mason Fine stepping into the starting role, and Fine Fine had an interesting game. Uh, I think that, you know, he was really limited both by play calling and by decision making in a sense. He attempted a pass beyond 10 yards four times in the first three quarters, and he only hit one big play of 25 yards. In the fourth quarter, he went over 10 seven times and got intercepted on one of them and then got intercepted again in a pass under 10. I think that he he was serviceable to a point, but also limited in a role that he couldn't really you know, thrive in. It's a different team without Trevor Harris. It really is. Like he's a he is like the definition of like a a captain on offense. Everything kind of goes through him. And you see, even Jamal Morrow, he got yeah. nothing going on the ground. He hasn't had a great couple of weeks, but no. Trevor Harris has kind of been able to bail him out when he hasn't been able to get going. And Mason Fine isn't going to do that for you. No. We also got a Michigan legend Shea Patterson appearance in this game. Always love to see him doing well. Uh, but overall, Saskatchewan's just in trouble with uh, without Trevor Harris, and they just got to find a way to keep their head above water, uh, to find a way to sneak into a playoff spot. Obviously, finding a way to beat BC, uh, one of their competitors in the West, would have been huge for them. Yeah, but BC also kind of ran into some quarterback injuries of their own. Yeah, Vernon Adams went down after a bit of a nasty tackle, holding his knee. I think the entire stadium held their breath for pretty much the rest of the game. Good news is the reports back is that the knee is structurally stable uh, with no ligament damage, which is pretty huge. Dane Evans came into the game and was able to kind of push the Lions over the edge and get them a 19-9 win, and he'll be making his first start of this season for BC. We'll get to that later on, but Evans was good. I think that Evans is like the perfect backup quarterback for a role like this. He can come in and give you like two really good quarters, two and a half, three really good quarters but you know as a starter we've seen that he can struggle his decision making lacks at times he gets intercepted a lot and uh it'll be interesting to watch he's kind of the opposite of mason fine where he's like he's a veteran he's he's seen as uh everything the league kind of has to throw at him obviously you said he's not the greatest starter hasn't had the best uh results when he is a starter but as a backup i think he's one of the better backups in the league to have just with his experience and his ability to not cost you like you might not you're not going to win because of him but you're not going to lose because of him and as a backup as a starter he did lose some games because of him but nonetheless he he was serviceable in this game threw a touchdown threw an interception 19 points probably wouldn't be enough to beat uh trevor harris led saskatchewan team but they didn't have trevor harris and you, you play who you play. You play who you play. That was pretty much the story of that one. And we moved to the final game of the week and the best game of the week again with another barn burner involving the Red Blacks, this time in Calgary. They went to play the Stamps, and this one had pretty much a little bit of everything. I think it was seven lead changes by the end of it. 
84 points. Ottawa comes away with this one, 43-41 in overtime. They become the first team in CFL history to win back-to-back games in overtime. Seems like a pretty, like, really insane stat. Overtime hasn't been around for, like, the longest, longest time, so to put it in perspective a bit. But it shows what this team has and what they found in Dustin Crum, and that's just kind of some mojo. Like, they're, they, got, they got some swag to them. An identity. Yeah. An identity, and this team has been missing that. And now that, I mean, they they have found their quarterback, I don't think that's a debate in, anymore. No. Nope. Uh, sorry, McLeod, Bethel Thompson. Like, maybe, look at how, how much year. that has changed. Like, we were having that conversation, two like, weeks two ago. weeks ago on the podcast. Yeah. And in the span of that, there is absolutely no room for questioning it anymore. No, he's electric. Uh, the Red Blacks' odds jump from 2,200 to 1,500, I believe. And <sighs> it's... It's something to keep an eye on because that second spot in the East is just – it's up for grabs, and I think it's anyone's game. And, I mean, Montreal is is in it right now, but I think Ottawa's playing the second-best football out of the teams in the East uh, for Definitely. sure of the last past two weeks. Mm-hmm, for sure. And I think that they've – finding an identity to a Red Blacks team that has been just kind of milk toast the past few years is going to be so huge – in terms of getting fans in the seats like they now go to 500 on the season and like we said a few weeks ago they're just keeping their head above water in the sense that you know this is a team that can kind of stay in any game that they're in they've clearly shown that uh you beat Winnipeg like that coming back like that you go and beat a Calgary team that is actually starting to shape up and look like a really good team or at least much better than they did at the start of the season and this wasn't a, like an easy win in any sense of the word. So they've shown that they have a ton of resiliency and a ton of moxie. Yeah, I think it that goes to show it's a it's a well led group from yeah. the coaching staff, and I think they they just believe in one another. And if you know if you believe in each other and the guys are meshing in the locker room, you're gonna get results on the field. And like you said, like Calgary's a good football team, and they played really well in this game, including Jake Meyer, who Meyer. I was really impressed with him. Who, man. 450 yards, four touchdowns. He did have two interceptions, but I mean, they were he was throwing the ball a lot, but the way he played, he showed starting quarterback of the future caliber play. His arm is like up there with the better arms in the CFL. He was tossing out bombs. He threw one to Mark and Michelle who had an insane over the shoulder catch, but he threw one to Clark Barnes who got his first CFL touchdown on like a 54-yard connection. He just has the arm to make that happen, and I haven't seen that a ton this year yet other than guys like Vernon Adams and Chad Kelly like really be able to toss out long bombs like that. Crum obviously has shown he can do it too, uh, but I was really impressed with Jake Meyer. I was really impressed with Mark and Michelle. shows, you know, he played a few years in the NFL. That always kind of shows. His speed showed, but I, I came out of this one impressed with the Red Blacks but also really uh, impressed with the Stamps. I think these are two teams you definitely have to keep an eye on. I think they're both trending in the right direction because it looks like Calgary is going to be the third best team in the West with uh, the injuries that went, that Saskatchewan has suffered at quarterback. And like like I said before, Ottawa, that second spot's wide open for them. Got a quick question for you. Uh, why'd they go for two in overtime when they could have just kicked a field goal? I was really wondering that as well. I think it – well, I think, no, the initial thing was that Calgary had scored a touchdown, so they needed yes. a touchdown. So yeah, you're saying instead of kicking an extra point. Yes, yeah. sorry, an extra point. I want to say that that is like a niche CFL rule because I was also kind of thinking the same thing, 
and I was wondering why they would go for a two point when it was tied 41-41. So I have I have no problem admitting my ignorance that I haven't been a, a long time CFL fan, but as of uh, as of late, I've gone pretty into the league, and I was just watching. So for for context. It was it was in overtime. Calgary went down the field, scored a touchdown, and then Ottawa went down the field, got a touchdown. So it was 41-41, and Ottawa went for two and got it to win 43-41. So here it is. CFL overtime rules explained. Um, the two-point conversion rule was instituted in college football in 1958 and in 1975 in the CFL. In the CFL, they are mandatory at any point in overtime. So if a team scores a touchdown, that team must attempt a two-point conversion. So that was the difference. I'm pretty sure Calgary missed, missed their two-point, and then the Red Blacks nailed their two-point conversion. But that also explains last week a bit better as well. That's Hey, we learned something today. Electric rule. That is electric. Get the kickers off the field in no overtime. Kick, no kickers allowed in the CFL. You have to get that into the end zone to win the game in overtime. And I, I kind of love it. Well, it showed Crumb's a two-point assassin, man. Yeah. Those out routes. Yeah. They can't They can't be stopped. On a button. It's amazing to watch. He, I don't know, like, uh, it's the future of the CFL quarterbacks. These are two names, I think, that can be involved in, in the league for a long time. Absolutely. That was pretty much my takeaway from it as well. But we'll move on from our quick thoughts on Week 7 and look ahead to a bit of a stacked Week 8 in the sense that we got some games out east. We got touchdown Atlantic, and that's where we'll kind of start here with the Rough Riders going to Halifax to take on the Argos. I think that this is one that people kind of always enjoy a lot. We haven't had it in a few years uh, because of COVID. Um, but getting out back out east, you know, we the CFL was kind of on the precipice of getting out east and, you know, moving into that and starting another team. Uh, But obviously we haven't gotten there yet. Uh, The thing with this game is that Saskatchewan's coming into this one, you know, 10.5-point dogs. This one's going to be an uphill battle. They they call this an Argos home game. It's really a neutral site game. Um, But the defense is really going to have to bail them out in this one. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an uphill battle, like you said, for Saskatchewan, especially well, I guess technically on the road, not really. I'm sure the the crowd will probably be a little bit in favor of Toronto, but I'm sure the the Rough Rider fans will travel out east. And I mean the Argos, it just seems like they're just a well oiled machine right now. And I don't see Saskatchewan as being one of those teams that can knock them off. You always have the thought, you know, when's the letdown game going to happen? Because it probably will happen yeah. at some point. I think the idea of going undefeated on the season is is a bit of a stretch. Yeah. I mean, one can dream. But it's it's going to be tough for Saskatchewan. The defense needs to create stuff. And Mason Fine has to find a way to not turn the ball over. No mistakes on yeah. offense. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it's his third season now. I think that... The riders should just take the shackles off him for this game. Like, let him sink or swim. You're you're in like a a prime time spotlight on Saturday night in this game. I think that you should really be throwing everything you have at the wall at, at the Argos. The QB and their offense hasn't shown any sign of slowing down. So you have to get really creative against teams like that. 
it's a bit of a David versus Goliath situation, but it's also the CFL. Anything can happen. So I think that this one's going to be really interesting to watch. You know, Argos got out there earlier in the week. They're going to be, you know, kind of wrapped up in the whole thing, whether they can stay focused and come out uh, with a bit of like a specialty game and still have a really good performance will be kind of, uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. Interesting weather game as well. Uh, it's going to affect the total a bit, but the total's still high, and it puts the Argo streak of having 30 or more points in every game this season at risk a bit. I'm looking at it on Saturday. It looks like it's going to be 26 degrees Celsius and rain, but not too much rain, uh, but there's definitely going to be rain in the forecast and a little windy. So, I mean, we'll see how that affects the game, but I like Jamal Morrow has to get going. Yeah, it's going to be a game, yeah, especially if it's raining. Like if this turns into like a real grit and grind run game, they are pretty much without a paddle if he's not going. Yeah. Argo's got two horses they have that two can horses. go. Yeah, it's, it's like it's going to be a real tough one for Saskatchewan. Uh wanted to start out there just because it's the specialty game of the week, but on Friday 1st, we will come back to Dustin Crum as the Ticats go to Ottawa to take on the Red Blacks. Red Blacks back at home with a ton of steam, and the Ticats coming in kind of limping after another loss to the Argos. I think that this is one where we're really going to see, you know, who can set the tone for the East Division for the rest of, you know, not the rest of the year, but for the next few weeks. I think if the Red Blacks come in really hot and stomp on the Ticats, that they're going to solidify themselves as the second-best team in the East within, like, three weeks. Yeah, this is my game of the week. Yeah. Uh, it's got the Patrick Hannon stamp of approval. I saw Bolivar Mitchell was practicing. I saw that, too. Our, the line does not reflect that he's going to play. Uh, the Red Blacks are three-and-a-half-point favorites. I love it. And I love, I love it, too. They're, they're at home. The only way I think Hamilton finds a way to win this game is if Bolivar Mitchell plays. But, I mean, there's been no indication that he is. But I don't think so, Good yeah. to see him back on the field. Yeah. The Hamilton will need that in the future. And, yeah. Or Dustin Crum has his letdown game, which I still kind of think that's going to happen at it some point. It could happen, too. Because yeah. he's riding quite the wave right now, as we've been talking about the past two weeks. I like that they're at home good. for this, though. I think that that's huge for them. I think that people are, especially after the past two weeks, people are going to come out to that game Friday night like it I think that really has the the makings to be kind of like a booming TD place and you know you talk about the Red Blacks finding an identity I think Hamilton might have the least identity other than the Elks in the league right now for a team I I just don't know what they want to be I don't know who they really are what do they do well that's the thing right like in that Argos game there were moments where they we're pressuring well. I think that that's like the one thing that you can maybe point to is their defensive line. But other than that, there's not much there, man. There's not much to even like break down with Hamilton this year because there's not much to talk about with them. No, it's, I mean, they're on their third quarterback of the season. Yeah. I mean, they're not, they scored 15 points last week against the Argos. They're on the road against Ottawa. I mean, it just, they have no mojo. Right now, I mean, I they beat the Elks two weeks ago, which was definitely a big win for them to show that they aren't at least in the bottom of the barrel conversation in the CFL. Yeah. But, I mean, Ottawa's got that week five result in their head where Hamilton beat them 21-13, and I really think, like like you said, that crowd's going to be excited on the Friday night, and, I mean, Hamilton's in their battle for... I mean, if Ottawa wins, they'll be 
into second place? I, or I think they might be in second with that win because they're at three and three and have the tiebreaker. I think. I'm over. sure that I'm yeah. sure the Alouettes result will also yeah. uh, factor into whether they they end up in second or not. But Ottawa knows the opportunity they have. Like that's definitely the message in the room that that second spot is wide open. And I mean. Who's to say Toronto's going to hold on to that first spot all year, right? I was having that conversation the other day. The thing about the CFL, even if you're like a 5-0 and team, like you're only like always a few games up. Like it, you're you're always like only within, you know, a few weeks of being bad, play, like turn around and a team's right behind you. And if you're the Argos, you've already had two bye weeks. You yeah. got a home game stolen from you with the touchdown Atlantic this week. You, you're it's I mean their next home game is August 13th they haven't been home since June I believe yeah like it's uh the schedule's not great for the Argos so you don't really know what's going to happen for them and they're probably not going to have as much rest as some other teams down the stretch but I mean they've taken advantage of what they've been given so far and it's great for takes a tough schedule with a good team like for for Argos fans your take is rock solid yeah you can just go, well, they, they gave us the hardest schedule. What do you want from us? Exactly. Yeah. But back to the Red Blacks, I, I would like to take the Red Blacks minus three and a half in this one, yeah. and I could also see the over hitting. I could see that too. I, I think that this one will be a fun game to bet. I think it'll be a fun game to watch. I H- think Highest total we've seen, 49 and a half. It's yeah. almost at 50. We're almost there. Uh, this, you know, I don't know about that total just in terms of Hamilton putting up enough points for that to hit. Uh, I just don't think Ottawa is a great defense. This is true. This is true. Yeah, if we if if there are holes to poke, yeah, it's uh they were kind of they were letting up a lot. Yeah, like especially Jake, in that overtime, yeah. like that that Calgary touchdown in overtime was way too easy. Um, but moving on now to Saturday, we go for the night game as the Lions go to Edmonton to take on the Elks. And I want to take the Elks. I want it so badly. Dane Evans is starting for the Lions. I think that I think that you should be rooting. I think everybody should be rooting for the Elks to win a game at home and snap this streak. It's at Commonwealth, like against BC, letdown game. I don't know if it's gonna happen, but I want it to so badly. I'm I'm in. Yeah, I'm riding money line. Plus, money line plus, plus three ten. Yeah. I'm looking at right now on bet three six five. Dial it up. I'm you, you've inspired me because the second that came out of your mouth, I was like, this this is the spot. It's the spot, man. They're, they're one game away from breaking that record. BC's this is missing it. Vernon Adams. Taylor Cornelius probably couldn't have a lower stock right now. No, he couldn't. Chris Jones, just the media's after him. They're winning. Yeah. They're winning this week. That's my analysis. Um, Taylor Cornelius is playing terribly, though. He really is. And in, in, in reality, uh, I don't know. Edmonton is by far the worst team in the league, and it is probably going to take a bit of a miracle for them to win. But the fact that they're only eight points, yeah, they, they, it feels like they should be double digits every week as a dog. They're only eight points this week, and the total's not that high either at forty-three. So I feel like it is going to be one of those, you know, kind of grungy, ugly games. And Edmonton just find needs to find a way, like similar to Mason Fine, just. Don't make mistakes on offense. Yeah, I think, and similar to the Rough Riders, I think that the one thing, if you could possibly point to it, is that the Elks are averaging 85 rushing yards per game. That's more than the Lions. So if you really want to get in this game, you're going to have to lean on Kevin Brown. You're going to have to lean on Taquan Mazel. You're going to have to 
be creative in your run game, pitch plays, like get guys in open space and get first downs. Like you just need to chip away at this game. I don't care if that that takes getting a field goal every single drive and that being it and just stacking up points that way. But you need to like there needs to be a sense of urgency at some point in this team and it just doesn't seem like they can put it together without mistakes. I'm hoping this can be the week. It has to be the week, Damian. We're both on it. What could go wrong? I mean, if Taylor Cornelius throws no interceptions, they might win. But yep. it seems like he throws a ton. One to two interceptions every single week. Uh, he'll make like one play with his legs where it's it's an electric play, and you're like, oh my goodness, I see it. I see it in Taylor Cornelius. And then the next play, he'll just throw. Make a crazy play. Yeah, overthrow his receiver by 10 to 15 yards. You just go, what, what are you looking at? Uh, it's, it's ugly for the Elks, but they have to win a game. I refuse to believe they don't win a game this season. Maybe maybe we just start betting them every week until they win. We might just have to until the it's like the Lions last season in the NFL. Everybody just kept taking them each week until because the number just kept being so good. It's got to break at some point. I don't think they're going winless in this season. It, I, don't, I refuse to believe that. Uh, but this has got to be kind of the day that it happens. Um, but moving on to Sunday, we have a interesting matchup with Calgary going to Montreal to take on the Alouettes. Two and Calgary's at two and four. Alouettes are at two and three. This is a game that both teams need a win in pretty badly. The thing that comes to mind where I've just been thinking about it since that Stamps game is like how did how did people miss on like Jake Meyer in the sense that like Calgary signed him in 2020, didn't play because of the 2020 uh, canceled season, and kind of got injured. Back like he just stayed quiet. Like you got. He's a better quarterback than Cody Fajardo to me right now in terms of ta- pure talent, and I think that he's better than Taylor Cornelius in terms of talent. It's just interesting to me, like, those guys who kind of slip through the cracks in the CFL and then always seem to just, like, become budding stars. Love that uh, Fajardo take. I think yeah. Cody Fajardo is the definition of mid, as I've said on this before, but... Yeah, Jake Meyer is playing excellent football, I would say, right now. The Stamps, the stamps got, are underdogs. He's almost got 1,700 pass yards. I'm taking the Stamps in this game, money line. I, yeah. think, the, I think the Owls, it's, I, I think they're getting the three points because they're at home. I think that's I think the so only too. difference in this game. But I think Calgary is just a better football team than Montreal. Uh, Cody Fajardo doesn't do anything great. Mm-hmm. Uh, his last outing against the Argos, I mean, he, he threw three, inter- three touchdowns, but also had two interceptions. And I think that Calgary will take advantage of those interceptions similar to Toronto. And yeah. You're just waiting for the mistake with him is the thing. I think that there's not a ton of confidence in what like Fajardo can do for that offense. I think that people understand his limitations. And with catching the points, I think that people got kind of wrapped up in this receiver room in Montreal because Austin Max had a good start to the season. Kayon Julian Grant's taking another step. You know, they have these weapons, but as we mentioned earlier, like, Calgary's got them too. You had Marquine Michelle have a great week. Reggie Bagleton's back after another week of kind of resting up from that injury. They have Trey Odom's Dukes, like a CFL legend. They got these guys that can really make plays, and it's going to be tough. Like, that Montreal defense is not good. No, it's not. I mean, the, you do have the argument that they had a bye this past week, so you got the two weeks. This is true. To, you got two weeks to prep for... Uh, Jake Meyer, but I think that 
the Jake Meyer of last week was different than the week before. Yeah. So it's almost like you're prepping for a different quarterback and with, you know, he's just getting better every week, it seems, so far this season. Because there were some questions earlier in the year about whether he was going to, like, lose his job, which I think was a little bit ridiculous. But I think those uh, conversations have died down as of late. And it's just... I'm going to be very interested to see the start of this game because I think Calgary's going to be upset losing that absolute marathon with the Red Blacks last week. Montreal's probably going to be really excited at home off of by Sunday night football. I think that first quarter is going to play a huge factor in this game. It's a good point, especially with a game as much on the line as it is. A big start is going to be huge for Calgary or Montreal, You know, getting the fans into it early or really silencing that home crowd early. Uh, this is a perfect Sunday night football game. I love it uh, being on at 7. Like I, They're taking over the weekends. A little nod to the CFL. They've taken a ton of heat this year for scheduling um, and you know not being on the right nights that they should. I think that they've taken over weekend nights in the summer so far, that Saturday nights and Sunday nights, especially with the new CBS deal, people are watching CFL football. There's nothing else on. You can only watch so many MLB games. Uh, NASCAR usually goes around the 4 or 5 o'clock, so it's over by 7 o'clock. Golf might be on, but that usually wraps up by 7, too. So after 7 o'clock onwards, usually baseball is during the day as well. There's – it's – it's competing with one singular baseball game on those Sunday nights, Saturday nights. I – you got to respect 60 minutes. I'm, I'm a big 60 minutes record guy, so so I, I prioritize, the prioritize the CFL on Sunday nights. But like you said, that CBS deal is doing wonders for them because yeah. the people in the States, they love football, yeah. and they know it, and especially if they're in those markets without NFL teams, yeah, they will they will grab gravitate to just good quality football. I th- I've seen a lot of people uh, commenting on, like, Chad Kelly's tweets and stuff, watching from Mississippi, That's great. from the South. So I, yeah. it's great, man. It's it's growing the game, and hopefully more it gro- c- continues to grow in the future. Yeah, I think it, it was another great week in that sense of, of getting, you know, eyeballs on it. Um, but that'll do it for our CFL recap and preview. And coming up next, we'll come back at you with the Episode 3-4 review for the Netflix quarterback series. So come back after that. All right, we're back now with an episode three and four review of the Netflix quarterback series. If you missed our uh, one and two preview, that was last episode. Um, But this one was interesting. It kind of dived into the bodies of quarterbacks, both physically and mentally, in episodes three. We looked a lot at injuries in episodes four. We looked a lot at the mental side. And there was a whole lot. There was some gems in these two episodes. Starting off in episode three, we got... Like I'm gonna call him the Superman guy now because he described Mahomes like Superman and he and he just acts like he's a superhero. It's like his personal trainer that we got like the origin story for. It turns out that he's like a childhood friend of Mahomes and grew up with him and is like into personal training. Who he then convinced the Chiefs to hire Bobby Stroop. Bobby Stroop. Bobby Stroop, the legend. He, uh, yeah, he he made his entire career off. Being Patrick Mahomes' friend, which good for you. That's that's what it's all about, really. It's you know Mahomes made like a pitch for him. He's like, if you look at my injuries before 
Bobby came and after Bobby came, they're completely different. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm and healthier. Mahomes, you were limping around all last season on an on an injured ankle, so I don't know what you were talking about. But I guess we'll get to that it's later crazy, in the in dude. the season. But I got I got a question for you. Uh, who am I? Ah, 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 ah. Dude, Kirk Cousins was making wild noises. Like, it would just pop in like he'd be running in a huddle, and then you'd just hear, ah! The entire game. Like, every time he would just, he would throw the ball, go, no, no, no! And then he'd get hit, go, ah! Uh, ah! Uh, like, his receivers and linemen must just be like, dude, just dude, shut up. And then no he goes back either. to the bench, he's like, I'm tired of getting a hit! Tired of it, slams his helmet on that. I guess it's like the air conditioner yeah, s- the uh, post. station post. Just slams on there. Pretty good accuracy to get it in every time. I find that's actually impressive. But he was kind of the the focal point because he was injured a ton in that rib area. Yeah, so I think he was kind of the highlight of that episode three and how he showed you know, him getting he, in the cold tub. Yeah, the chiropractor at home. Oh, that cold tub is that it's a cold pool. Yeah, it was like a giant, giant tub. I feel like I, it, every tub that size just feels like a hot tub to me. Um, but he was also making great noises in the tub. And every story he tells, man, like he sounds like a 13-year-old where he's like, back, back at Michigan, I used to go in Lake Michigan and say it was what the world's biggest ice bath. It's yeah. Like, you thought that was so funny, Kirk. Oh, man. Kirk's an interesting. He's just the biggest aw shucks kind of guy ever, but... It's great, but then I keep waiting for the show to come back to him. It's like crack, dude. Like, he, they go away, and they show Mariota and Mahomes, and I'm like, all right, when are you bringing me back to Minnesota? This 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 series has made Kirk Cousins so likable. It's insane. Me. It's yeah. insane. And, and it, especially in the fourth episode where they got into the mental aspect of it, you see, like... Kirk Cousins got to be in like the top percentile of athlete, like brainiac athletes. He, yeah. You can clearly see he has like a ridiculous brain for football. And that's always, to me, been the craziest thing as somebody who has like a bad memory in general. Quarterbacks and their ability to memorize shit never ceases to amaze me. And that was pretty much all of episode four. Yeah. Big football nerd episode. Big time. I mean, if you're into that kind of stuff, that was just heaven to you. Going back to episode three, though, my, you could throw that so episode gems. on no volume at like a pre. There were so many hits in there, and then, Hit it had, then it had like the best game of the season with the Bills Vikings. It was just that was the most that was my favorite episode so far. Definitely. It was so action packed. It was so interesting, and just seeing how many hits and how big the hits are. It doesn't do it justice when you're watching like live. On no, TV. you don't get the sounds, it's the right? Sound. Yeah, it's uh, that's that's what I was gonna say. It's the sound for me. It sounds like a car impact. crash. Yeah, yeah. That one of the girl, I think it was Marks Mariota's fiance, said that yeah. like, it's like it's basically like getting, getting in a car, in a car crash. crash every week. And I mean that's pretty accurate. And uh, it must be tough to be one of those wives and just seeing your yeah. your husband just kind of get lit Dude, up. Dude, and week. and they were previewing the KC San Fran game, and they just showed a complete montage of Kirk Cousins getting absolutely destroyed by Nick Bosa. Yeah, shout out to Nick Bosa getting a whole segment on that on that episode. Out of nowhere, dude. Yeah. Like, good week for the Bosa. He got, the other Bosa got shined in, in the next episode, too, when Mahomes was going through uh, film coverage. Uh, but there were some gems in that, that third episode. 
Mahomes going, oh, head and shoulders would have been mad if he cut his hair. I thought I laughed a lot at that. Him big-dogging Nick Bosa at the end of that game saying, get healthy, and Nick Bosa goes, I am healthy, and he goes, I, I know better. I know better. Yeah, that was that was interesting. Just I wonder big if dogging he was the hell out of him. But then, like, Bosa won the defensive player of the year, so I was like, I don't know. Just big-dogging him? But he did. Yeah, I guess Mahomes definitely won that, that battle between the yeah. two. Yeah. I'm interested to see what his new hairstyle is. I know. I, he keeps hyping that up. I like. I thought it was funny. He's like, I can't be a 40-year-old dad having this hair. Yeah, he's like, I'm a dad now. Yeah. Like, I, I'll start acting eventually. Also in the third episode, Mariota had just like an all-time guy's guy quote about McDonald's breakfast. He's like, yeah, I, I, it's my favorite thing on earth. He's like, Monday, Tuesday, uh, sausage, egg, McMuffin, I'm there every time. Yeah, his, his chef goes, he's got a natural... Uh, unhealthy eating ability regimen cut to the mcdonald's breakfast plug also gotta love how intense his chef was when he was at that game oh man he was getting so into it i feel like that would be me too man like sometimes they show kirk's family and like his wife is so reserved in the stands it's obviously different but the chef just going all out screaming fired me up yeah by by himself (laughs) solo ticket yeah it's amazing uh still not getting a lot of marcus Mariota though i find yeah, I think that he he's not a great interview. Like no. he I find that other aspects of the show will bring out stuff in him. I find that he's good um mic'd up, like on on the field he's got good mic ups and good like huddle talk and it's interesting to see that and his relationship to like Polynesian fans. Uh but yeah, I'm just not getting a whole ton out of him. It seems like the the last episodes are going to be all about him when you yeah know, the Falcons they're probably saving Desmond, that yeah. Desmond Ritter because I think they teased it at the end of episode four yeah but I also kind of want some more Arthur Smith quotes because he's a he's a gem of an interview if you've ever heard anything he does he's got a great personality big football guy and they've gotten McConnell a ton like McConnell's been in a ton of scenes McConnell's a main character yeah Andy Reid and then they got Andy Reid yeah the, at fourth episode yeah love his mentality. Oh, I know that just letting guys have fun like that. Yeah, Yeah, I think that it it was so cool to see how the Chiefs kind of have an entire almost day dedicated to making new plays. And it showed where they showed that Mahomes highlight against Arizona where he rolls out and does that like under the like underhand toss. Yeah, like just such creative play calling. And I'm just waiting to see that like that that Raiders Chiefs play when they do the ring around the rosy before doing it like was that had to be like had to be right like it doesn't get on the field unless they've done it in practice which means that they did that ring around the rosy and Andy Reid must have just hit full fuck it mode last year like I don't know how that one got by the committee it's it worked too I mean it's amazing because when you look at Andy Reid you you think old school like hard-nosed kind of coach but he's a big fuzzy teddy bear yeah he's got a great open mind of mm-hmm. trying to adapt to the new game and i mean he's done it as good as as any of the young guys that have broken into oh, yeah. the league have and i think that's why he's still around and still like one of the best coaches and he's been and a one players of the best coach coaches. right like guys will never get tired of him clearly i love that one uh clip of him going up to mahomes after he like took him all the way down the field ran it in against the chargers then won them the game and he just goes up to him on the bench he goes couldn't have done it better myself like that just like just little lines like that like mahomes knows that's like yeah. a huge compliment but andy doesn't have to go say anything crazy i yeah. just 
I love that coaching style. Yeah, I think that was a cool insight. I think that it shows, again, why the Chiefs are so good and why they're so hard to beat. They showed that game against the Titans where – you know, they have a third and 17 in Mahomes scrambles for 20 yards. It's just the epitome of why the Chiefs are so frustrating to play against because the last thing you have in your mind half the time is Patrick Mahomes scrambling, and then it's always the play where you're least prepared for it, and they just get those huge yards. Um, also in the fourth episode, very interested in Kirk Cousins' brain training. He was wearing like a skull, like a goalie skull cap with nodes in it, watching TV shows that fade into black every few seconds. I I was trying to wrap my head around it. I couldn't really. I don't know how that makes you calmer. No, and did you see what kind of videos he was watching? Yeah, it was like one, one of them was a Jeff Bezos interview. Bezos, I, I can't remember, the, but it was someone else of, it was an actor, I think it was. Yeah. Just like talking into a camera, it would just go dark. It was weird. Weird. <laughs> and then he he like Mahomes was defending his boy Bobby was like I I always play better after I score great on the on the neural training. I you're not there's no way your brain is the same in that moment isolated in your in your F one fifty as it is when you're in the middle in in New Era Field or Buffalo wherever the Bills play these days and you know you got to go win. you got to go win a game in overtime like there's no way it's the same but, know, they were saying it like trains your brain to be calmer in stress situations i don't know about all that but it shows that he's throwing everything at the wall in terms of like being a better quarterback yeah i feel like it's not going to like hurt your brain so i mean if it if it meant i feel like that's just like a placebo for him yeah if anything yeah he's he's shown that he can get a bit fiery at times and that that might kind of be too like a hindrance to his game, um, but that was super interesting. I didn't have much else from these two episodes. Um, Mahomes talked about swearing at the end of the episode four, like he was a toddler. He's like, y'all can keep that in there. Yeah, that was that and was interesting. We got his wife a uh, little insight into her being a soccer owner. That was kind of cool, actually. I yeah, I didn't know that. That was, was kind of cool. Um, She's clearly like a like a heavy sports girl, like which it, is like something that I don't think many people really get. Yeah, I mean, this is making me like Brittany Mahomes a little bit more little, than yeah. I did before because I think it's just showing what she's about more. And she then actually I seems can, about it. Yeah, I can kind of get the other stuff she just gets a little into it maybe more than your average wife yeah. or fiance or girlfriend would in these mm-hmm. guys and i think because the chiefs are winning so much but you see Brittany yeah, Holmes more than effect, you think but yeah. she didn't ask for this spotlight no, right so i mean it, it is what it is but uh what was your those some of those play calls were just absurd did, did you have any y, that stuck out that's funk one of the they kept using funk in like a lot of them i think that might have just been the vikings yeah. But they used Funky in a lot of them. On Turbo. Tur- turbo, I think a lot of teams use, right? Yeah, it's just Turbo's like, the snap. Yeah, the, when you hear Turbo, that's the snap. Okay. It'll be like Turbo 2, yeah. set, set, Turbo. I just don't get that, man. Like, I can't, like, wrap my head around how – that's what I think people who don't watch football don't get about it. Like, they don't get how much of a mental X's and O's game it really is. And it's like it's like playing chess for, like, an hour. Well, Kirk, Kirk Kirk explained it well. It's you're you're studying for a final exam every, every week. Yeah. Every week and Sunday, Sunday is your final. Sometimes you have a short weekend and your exams on Thursday, which 
you start to understand why the short some guys don't like Thursday night football. Yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah. You'll see guys like Jason Kelsey being like, "I love Thursday nights," and it's like, "Well, dude, you're fucking like blocking." You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so you're not pre- prepping this insane amount every game mentally. I thought Mariota had a really interesting quote about confidence being the only mental weapon that QBs have, and that when you lose your confidence, you kind of lose all those other like mental acuities. Uh, I think that it's gonna be that'll be interesting. Either, showing somebody who's struggling will be interesting to give the show a little bit of drama. Like can't all be hit sticks and like sweet throws, you know? Like I think that'll be interesting. A storyline is developing. Yeah. yeah, but we'll come back to you next week with an episode five six recap, uh, and then there'll only be two more after that. There's eight episodes in this series. Up next, we'll be debuting a new segment called Around the NFL, where we will share pretty much just our best stories and everything that we can remember over the past, like, two or three weeks in the NFL. So come back after that. All right. Now, welcome back to a new segment called Around the NFL, when me and Patrick will be talking a bit about the NFL over the past few weeks. And we'll start with the retro jerseys I want to start with. I think that teams have it seems to be like a coordinated league-wide thing that there must have been some sort of league memo or coordination between teams on releasing retro jerseys because it seems like every single team is slowly releasing a retro jersey what what's your favorite i'll start there favorite so far my favorite so far it's tough because it's actually a pretty deep deep field but i think i'll go with i'll go with seattle for now, because I kind of forgot about them originally, because they were one of the first teams that released them, them in, along with uh, Tampa Bay. Yeah. It was, I don't know, maybe it's because I saw Jackson Smith and Jigba modeling it, and I just, I he's one of my favorite wide receivers. I But I just love a chrome silver helmet with the blue that they unveiled was so much better than the navy blue that's just so dull. And then they had a, a like a more vibrant green but not too like lo- like volty yeah. i guess is like the one that they have now and then it, it's just it looks so good i love the shoulder patches with the seahawk uh, I, I actually i think the seahawks kind of yeah got overlooked a little bit i think that especially for a team with such a dull color palette normally i think that it was really cool to see them actually get creative yeah it was nice to see and i mean like you, I don't know if it's just because of us and our age, but I almost forget that those jerseys ever existed for the Seahawks. So when they broke those out, I was like pleasantly surprised. There's definitely a chalkier pick out there, but I think uh, just because how early they were, and I think it's not too candy ass. You yeah, know what I mean, it's it's just like an old school jersey that looks good. Yeah, the uh, the Lions were another one that they released theirs like way earlier than everybody else and kind of got forgot about. I love the Lions' new helmet. It's like that weird old Lion logo with the two um, blocks down the middle uh, with like that all-blue helmet look. The rest of the uniform leaves a bit to be desired. Uh, it, they went with like that all-gray kind of look again, which not my favorite. I think that they should have leaned into the blue a bit more. So that one was one that I was kind of like disappointed with a bit more. I think the Lions had a bit more to give there. Um, but my favorite so far uh, has got to be the Bucks. I think I'm a sucker for cream skull unis. I think that, you know, being a Dolphins fan, I'm a sucker for candy ass uniforms too. Uh, it's them or the Titans. I think the Titans, uh, with their Houston Oilers throwback uniforms, are like one of the nicer ones that we've seen. But it also sparked a bit of a debate. Like, does Tennessee get the intellectual property 
of like the Houston Oil. That's what I'm interested in. Like I guess it transfers over if you move a team. Apparently. Right? I, like, I didn't know I I associate teams with cities. Yeah. And not um I guess like you said, IPs. Because like they left and then Texans sprung up. So it's like I guess the Texans didn't have any of that history, but like But it feels weird because they're wearing Houston Oiler uniforms and not yes. like Tennessee Oilers and it, I, I don't know. It feels wrong, but I, I kind of understand it. It Either way, they look great in them. I didn't want to choose it because it was almost too chalky. Yeah. And, I mean, everyone loves them. That's why I'm happy. we Like, you had the Bucks, Seahawks, but I think, yeah, obviously the best-looking one would be yeah. the Oilers. There's probably. a bunch that also fall into the category of looking exactly like their regular uniforms. I think that the Vikings fall into that. Yep. I think the Jets fall into that. I think that the Browns were were an interesting one because the Browns is like objectively a very nice looking uniform, but they look like the Bengals. Yeah, and, it's and like white helmets and and orange outlines to the big block letters like yeah, that's Bengals. They're rivals too, so I don't it, get it. it. Feels like you should have uh, kind of created your own identity. Yes, uh, I I like the Jets throwbacks. I think obviously there's nothing crazy to them, but I think they're just so much better than their current jerseys that well, they wear. Not the weird font on them. Yeah, like like an arrow yeah. on the shoulder. It's I don't know. It's it kind of looks like you said it. The Rough Riders uh, yeah. jerseys. They look a bit Saskatchewan. I, I think it's a great look. I think the Colts were a mess. Yeah, people were not happy about the Colts. Everybody pointing to Duke football. I I think they they almost look more like Kentucky to me. Like they look like a KU football or uh, uh, not KU, but um, oh no, I'm K- that's Kansas. Yeah, KU. UK. UK. Uh, they have like the the big white stripes going down the side, blue and black. Not good. You don't like the black helmets. I think that's what does it for me. I, I well, if they went with a black uniform, then it's like okay, we're going full black. Yeah, you know, like yeah, I agree. I'm yeah. not a huge fan of like black with those other dark colors. I think you need a lighter color to work with black in a uniform. Yeah. And yeah, I think the Colts were a miss. Who else? I'd want. I mean, Denver just really different just helmets. The helmets. Yeah, I, I, they kind of went the Lions route. And I think the Kelly Greens are back, which I'm a big fan of, actually. Yeah, I love Kelly Green. I think that the Dolphins. I'm like holding my breath, hoping that they just come with the best for last. Like they have to, right? But I think the Dolphins already have a throwback that they wear, right? They do. It's it's the Tua jersey that I have all the stock invested in. Yeah, uh, I need. Yeah, it, it, it it's a good point. Something tells me that they still won't miss out on the boat on this one. Like, I think that it's just too par for the course for a Miami team to do a throwback that they won't kind of miss out while everybody else does it around them. But I am still waiting for a few. I want to see if the Patriots do one because I'm, surprisingly enough, love the old Patriots uniforms. I think that just like a bright blue, white, and red uniform, that like old style always looks good. If the Bills do something, kind of like there's a couple Eastern teams, I'm waiting to see if they do anything. Yeah, I mean, the Steelers definitely aren't going to do anything. They're just yeah. going to wear those uniforms with the uh, square numbers as opposed to rounded numbers and call them throwbacks. I think uh, a team that c- could use it would be um, just the Cowboys. Yeah. I, I think the Cowboys, That'd be nice. they need to go back to that era because that era was so good to them compared to where they, were, where they are now. And, I mean, you, you said, like, the Patriots, but – I think they have those red uniforms. I would be interested to see them go to those those blue uniforms in the 90s. Because yeah. 
I think it's just a, we've seen the Pat the Patriot uniforms. They're amazing, but it feels like they break them out every year. And yeah. even the Dolphins, I think they should just do a different era yeah. of the throwback, and that's an easy way to sell more merch. Mm-hmm. I mean, make more money. I, I agree. But it just goes to show for me when I see all these throwback jerseys kind of how dull the current NFL jerseys are. It's abysmal, man. Like, they they have so much to work with, too. Like, you're the NFL, dude. Yep. You can do anything. These are, like, some of the most, like, storied sports properties that, like, sports has. Like, the Green Bay Packers. Like, you know, even Washington. That's one thing I'm excited for. There's rumors that... Washington is going to rebrand again, which I think would be not only hilarious, but like for the better. I think that we tried Commanders. I think it hasn't really stuck at all. Yeah, it'd be pretty controversial if they had a throwback uniform, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, they could definitely use a, another rebrand. I rathered football team over Commanders, if Absolutely. you want me to be honest with you. I, I got so used to it and it felt natural. Commanders, I don't know. I like Red Hogs. I've, I've said that before. I think that's just a fun name, and you can the hogs. Your mascot is a hog anyway, so what? What the hell? But Major Tutty. Uh, but otherwise, in the NFL, had a couple signings. DeAndre Hopkins going to the Titans. I think this made people scratch their heads a lot more than it should have. Personally, I think that's the way that I interpreted it. I think that the Titans kind of have gotten done dirty in the past year. We talked about them a lot last season on the podcast of having such an underwhelming offense in comparison to how good of a defense they had. And I think this gives them a weapon. They were struggling without a number one. Vrabel's a player's coach. People clearly want to play for him. He always has competitive teams. And in the past five years, they do have like – some sort of success, at least within the division and getting to the playoffs. I think that in terms of the teams that were left that, you know, could feasibly take him on, this was the best option for him. Yeah, it seemed that he wanted to be a number one wide receiver and he wanted a lot of money. Yes. Those, those seemed to be DeAndre Hopkins' two kind of, I guess, non-negotiables, yeah. you could say. And, I mean, he got both of them in Tennessee. Uh, like you said, I do think, you know, Tennessee, it's – they're not the sexiest team, like you said, but no. I think that's because they've been missing a lot on offense, but Vrabel's always going to have that team fighting for a playoff yes. spot. They're not in a great division. They have a chance to win it. I mean, it's them or Jacksonville, I would say. And, I mean, you just drafted Traylon Burks last year in the first round who have missed a couple games last year for injury, but he looks like he can be a stud. If he takes so, a step, he's a solid two, maybe. Exactly, and you got Hopkins mentoring him in the league. Yeah. Derrick Henry still exists. Let's not forget that. And you have a good O-line. So Tennessee is actually putting together a solid team. I think Tennessee was a much better option than going to play for the Patriots, which seemed, no to, be, kidding. Those seemed to be the final two options for them. And that would be like on my butt, my bottom list of teams right now is the Patriots. Sorry to Jake Schultz, who's going to get upset at this segment, but I think the Patriots fans are delusional in what they have right now in a lot of the sense of they don't understand why that they, they're they not an attractive free agency option anymore, and I, I don't know why because the Patriots have historically not gone out and spent a ton of money on that. They still have a very rigid system. They're in a stacked division now more than ever. You have like terrible conference games to look forward to every like year. I I don't think they're being very realistic about where their team's headed. That's the number one team that needs a needs a culture change, and I, I think so too. I think Belichick's got to know 
Okay, I, I didn't expect to get into these takes right now. <laughs> Let's but get into them. I think Belichick like needs to know when to step away. And I think that is coming uh, sooner rather than later. I think the Patricia signing put a lot of seeds of doubt into people's minds of whether he knew what, like, if he was the right guy to be, like, leading the culture in that sense. Like, you, I think that really did a lot of dirty for him, especially with how bad their offense looked last year at times. Yeah, and, I mean, they didn't have the worst record last year. I mean, they were just battling between Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi all year. You're not gonna win. You're not gonna win anything with those two quarterbacks. Either of them. Uh, I don't. It's they act like it's the same New England Patriots team with Brady, but they haven't adjusted to the post Brady era, and they still no. think Mac Jones. They just think uh, a white pocket passing quarterback. It just automatically means Tom Brady, but Mac Jones is not Tom Brady, and neither is Bailey Zappi. I think you he, lose Damian Harris. Now they have to like fully rely on Ramondre Stevenson. They that was the one thing that they had going for them at times last year was like a good one two in the run game. I think you lose that now. I think that I think that the Patriots' time is done. Like I, I'll go out there and say that I don't see that without like some incredible turn of luck. Like they finish, you know, one of the bottom teams in the league this year and get somebody next year in the draft, like a you know a Caleb. From, what's his last name? Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams from USC. Like you they get like a blue a chip guy. Like yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's gonna be a very quarterback heavy draft next year. So, so that's the only way I really see that happening is that if they can turn this thing around next year after like a good draft class and say okay we're doing like a Boston Bruins like one last like we're gonna try and keep the gang together here. I just don't see it. Call me crazy, but I don't think Bill Belichick's a great developer of young talent, especially in this current age of football especially with across the board of uh, at, at the very least yeah especially with quarterbacks like Caleb Williams like I don't I don't think he we saw what happened when Cam Newton was on the Patriots it did it wasn't pretty that wasn't a a fun experiment I'm sure for anyone involved and yeah I don't know it's just it feels like the Patriots are done I was gonna go and say they won't make the playoffs, but you you went and said that they'll be a, a bottom feeder. I, I, I don't think they're making the playoffs this year at all. I think that it's interesting you bring up Cam Newton because I think that that was another moment that seeded kind of a lot of doubt in people's minds of how he was kind of handled throughout that season. What What's going on on an organizational level behind the Patriots? I think that that used to be one of the most rock-solid things about the Patriots, and now it seems like it isn't. I think that's where the big culture shift kind of has happened. Yeah, it's it's different. New England's got to adjust, and I mean, otherwise I from the best. Yeah, otherwise we have Aaron Rodgers looking really weird in a Jets uniform, really weird in a new helmet. Like, let's talk about AFC East quarterbacks here for a sec. I'll lead with that, and then we can talk about Tua's new sleeve. But Rodgers just looks weird in that. I think it's the hel- is it the helmet? I think he lost weight, and he didn't do his helmet up, so his helmet was riding a little high. There it is. And the angle didn't do him any favors either. It, it was didn't. almost shot from above, yeah. making the, the point of Look small. the focus was almost on the helmet. Yeah. And Very the white, weird. the background, the, the reflection of the lighting, it was. he looked weird. He looked yeah. really weird. And, I mean, Rodgers has never been known for, for good style as no. an NFL quarterback. Uh, this is true. He's had he's always had the vintage look, which, I mean, is style in a way. But You're not in Green Bay anymore, man. You're in New York City. I think he's definitely lost some weight. 
I think so too. I think it's not not like crazy yeah. or like alarming. Like I'm not saying like ring the alarm bells. Aaron Rodgers is too skinny to play quarterback. But no. I think it's kind of like a Tom Brady kind of thing where it's like yeah, he's changed his diet probably a bit. I mean, uh, it's obviously different from New York to uh, Wisconsin. And I mean, I don't know. I just think he looks skinny. He looks a little weird, but he, he looked happy. He looked happy. It's like seeing him get into a new relationship. Yeah. He's just experiencing all the things. Uh, but other than that, we had Dolphins QB Tua Tagovailoa reveal his new sleeve. He's got like a full-on traditional Polynesian tattoo sleeve. It said it represents his first child and has a lot of cultural significance. It took three sessions, and Tua is throwing for 6,000 yards and 66 touchdowns, and everything is going to go great now. Is it on his throwing arm? It is. Nope. No, it's not. No, it's Good. not. No, it's not. It's on his right arm. It's Good. on his right arm. Yeah. That, that threw me strictly, off for a sec. Strictly yeah. for buckets. Strictly for buckets. Uh, I I love that. I think in terms of – it's like if, you, if this was a video game and you added – like a traditional sleeve like that, you would get like plus five confidence or something, or like plus five swagger. And I think that giving Tua some swagger into this season can only help. I think he needs to build that back up. Yeah, I mean, Tua should be set for a good year. He showed signs. His biggest thing is just, you know, stay, stay healthy, healthy, right? Stay healthy, baby. And man. I mean, Josh Allen's chilling, new girlfriend, Haley Steinfeld, good for him. Madden cover, good offseason for Josh Allen. AFC East quarterbacks are killing it. That is going to do it for Around the NFL, our first edition of this segment, and that is going to do it for this episode as well. Once again, thank you for listening. Keep supporting the podcast. We love it. And until next week, I'll see you, Patrick. See you, Damien.